Good morning, and I greet you too in Jesus' name and welcome you to our service here. Certainly, I have appreciated the uh, Sunday school lesson and the uh, discussion that surrounded that. Um, not new stuff, but uh, good for us to look at again. Today, I would like to look at a letter in the New Testament that was written by Paul to a businessman, I believe, possibly. Book of Philemon. You can turn there with me if you wish. The easiest way to find Philemon is to go to Hebrews and turn left, and you're at Philemon. I read this book recently, this letter, um, my journey through the Bible this year again, and um, we all know the, the background here to this, this letter. <clears throat> Philemon was um, <clears throat> excuse me. Philemon was a person that that uh, obviously was a, a person of some means. Apparently, um, had a few servants that were known as slaves in those days. That uh, apparently one of these um, servants of his had um, had taken off, had run off, and um, had run into Paul in his, uh, in his uh, uh, attempt to get away from his master. And Paul had an encounter with this, this, uh, this man by the name of Onesimus, and uh, by all appearances, Onesimus became a Christian under Paul's uh, teaching. And uh, Paul wants Onesimus to go back to his master, Philemon, and be reunited with him. And so this letter is, I believe, a letter that uh, was sent probably back by the hand of Onesimus to Philemon with some instructions from Paul to Philemon about um, what was the goings-on, uh, what, was, what was happening between him and Onesimus, and what he wished uh, Philemon to do with him whenever uh, they uh, got back together again. As I read through this letter, uh, there was just things that stood out to me that I believe are good Christian practices, attributes perhaps you would say, that promote um, strong brotherhood, I believe. And I would just like to, to go through this letter this morning, and it is not exhaustive and uh, it's incomplete, but just look at some things that as Paul writes this letter that we can we can learn from this letter. Now, uh, it is interesting how the canon of Scripture is put together, and uh, I think there's only three or four books in the New Testament that are letters. They're, they're literally letters that somebody wrote to somebody else, and it ended up, and we're reading this letter here this morning. And so um, just an interesting little side note to things. So let's read this letter, and then we'll, we'll look at it a little further. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Apphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints 
that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such an one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, which I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and me, whom I have sent again that thou mightst re- that thou therefore receive him, that is, mine own bowels, which I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might be, have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind, what I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldst receive him forever, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he is wrongly or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with my own hand. I will repay it. Albeit I do not say to thee how much thou owest unto me, even thine own self besides. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. But withal prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. There salute thee, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus Arist- Aristakis. I went through these names, and I thought I had them, but I just don't have them. So you have to bear with me. Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. All right. Let's just go through this letter that Paul wrote, and let's look at some attributes, characteristics that um, we find in Paul and that Paul writes about Philemon that would be good for us to uh, mirror today. So he starts out in verse 1 and 2, and then if you go to verse 23 and 24, we find that Paul had his dearest friends, I believe, were among the brotherhood. Now, Paul had a lot of friends, and he got around a lot. He went to a lot of different churches and so on. But here in this particular group of people, that was the church that was in the house of Philemon, he had some people that he genuinely appreciated. And he had some people around him that he genuinely uh, appreciated as well. The lesson I'd like to draw from this is that a good brotherhood is one where mutual appreciation and respect are given to all people. Now, I believe that these different people that that Paul addresses here were a wide, wide array of people. Um, Timothy was like a son to Paul. He refers to him. He refers to Philemon often as a brother. Um, I read in, in my studies that uh, this um, this um, beloved Apphia, perhaps, was probably uh, Philemon's wife, perhaps. 
and so on and so on. But Paul had, uh, Paul had great appreciation for these people, no matter how varied and different each one of them may have been. But then he, he winds it up and he says, I, you know, I greet all the church in your house as well. Now, he didn't name every one of those, but he said, I greet them too. I, w- I would like to just briefly just mention that it is not uncommon, as we read through the Bible, for people to have special friends, okay? But that didn't mean that they didn't appreciate the other folks around them. That th- these people were just their close friends. And you and I know something about that, don't we? Um, you know, uh, it seems like in Paul's situation here, you, you know, Timothy comes up a lot. We know he was with Silas a lot, Barnabas a lot. Different people that he, he co-labored with in a very real way. Uh, Micah just uh, recently went through uh, uh, the book of Daniel briefly there, the beginning chapters in, in prayer meeting. And we find that Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were a tight group. Now, did that mean that they didn't have other friends among the Jews? Oh, I don't think that means that at all, but they were just close friends. So I, I guess the take-home message here that I want to I wanna bring out here is in the broad brotherhood, it is certainly not wrong to have some people that we are closer to than others as long as that closeness does not work its way into exclusivity. In other words, I'm only going to be friends with this person, this person, and this person, and anybody else can just go fly a kite. No, that's not the way it is. Um, we appreciate everybody. But that doesn't mean that there won't be some people just for reasons whatever they may be, that may be a bit close to us. But as we do that, let's not cross over a line of exclusivity. Peter talks about it in his in 1 Peter 2.17. He has four short sentences. He goes, honor all men, okay? Honor everyone, but love the brotherhood. Fear God, honor the king. All right, the second one I would like to look at comes from verse 4. We should practice prayer for everyone, especially our church family. This is a subject in and of itself, and I won't make it a subject in and of itself. But Paul mentions in another letter, he goes, we should pray always with all prayer and supplication. How often do I pray for my friends and for my church brothers and sisters? You know, should I wait till you're in trouble to pray for you? Is that is that when you need prayer? Is that when I need prayer? When I'm when I'm up against the wall and that's that's kind of the last resort. Then I ask for prayer. Well, certainly right to pray in those situations, but we should be praying for others long before they hit the wall. Right? Perhaps they wouldn't hit the wall if we would have prayed. Perhaps that's another way to look at it. I think sometimes, um, maybe I shouldn't say we, maybe I should just say I. Uh, perhaps the problem is the reason we struggle in this thing of prayer, and I find it's a, a, a common demand, is because there's a lot of things out there to fix our problems. And it just feels like praying is, you know, it's like get off your face and go fix the problem. What's, what's prayer going to do? Now, that's, that sounds terrible, but I wonder if we were completely honest with ourselves sometimes, if that's not it, that, you know, um, 
let's, let's get busy and do something rather than just pray. I do wonder how long Paul's prayers must have been, because if you read the book of Romans, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, and Timothy, in all of those letters, he specifically mentions that he is always praying for these people in his prayers. Just an interesting thing. I do wonder if uh, Paul felt perhaps he needed more prayer sometimes, because uh, there's numerous times throughout the epistles that he will specifically ask for prayer. And so I would like to encourage us. Let's take the biblical um, injunction to pray without ceasing, and let's do that diligently. And let's not wait till we are uh, against the wall or others are against the wall before we we do that. Let's do that now, and let's do it faithfully. I'll just say this, too. Um, you know, and the whole thing of praying without ceasing, uh, I think that's a good um, a good lesson we can take from that is let's just say you're working throughout the day, your mind is wandering as minds do, and you think of a person. You just think of somebody you know, somebody in your church, somebody in your family. Why did that person come to mind at that, at that particular time? Um, perhaps it would be a good exercise for us as we think of people randomly through the day to just say a prayer for them. Um, I think it would be a great exercise. All right, point number three. I get from verse five. It says this, verse five, Hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. The point I'd like to make here is that communication among brother in the brotherhood is normal and it is good. I'd just like to ask you the question, Paul says here he heard of Philemon's love and faith. What had he heard? I assume he probably heard some specifics about Philemon that impressed him about Philemon's love and his faith. Who had told him? I don't know. It doesn't say. But he had heard it. He had heard it. And he, what he had heard impressed him. And it was a positive message, and he commended Philemon for what he had heard. I think it is healthy to have good communication in the brotherhood, um, as mundane as it, as it may be. I'll tell you, I don't know how it was for you, but for me, during the months of March and April and May, the thing I missed the most about not getting together at church is the fact that I could not visit with you afterward. I mean, I mean, a YouTube sermon does not cut it. It just doesn't. Um, I would go so far as to say that it's important to have Sunday school. It is important to have singing. It is important to pray. It is important to sit under the sound of God's word in every way that we do on a Sunday morning. But it is equally important that we stick around and we visit with one another. I just believe that is a very important part of the Christian experience. Good interaction between one another. If a YouTube sermon was good enough, or the TV preacher, the radio preacher, whatever he may be, was good enough, then why did the Hebrew writer say, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves? 
To my way of thinking, the only thing that's missing whenever we don't assemble is the fact that we don't get to interact with each other. So I think that's important. I'd like to just flush this out just a little bit more. Because of the priority that we put on fellowship, and I think that's good, we have things that we call fellowship meals even, right? Where we sit down and we eat and we talk. That's what that's all about. Sometimes there is a tendency, perhaps, toward idle chatter. Okay, some people would call that gossip, right? Just kind of sharing information that really um, is um, maybe maybe shouldn't even be uh, shared sometimes. I'd like to talk about just briefly about this just a little bit. So I think sometimes we, we mix up, we call some things gossip, okay, quote, quote, that really aren't, okay? Now hear me out on this. The Bible has much to say about tailbearing and whispering and uh, sharing bad reports. In fact, in uh, 1 Timothy 5.13, it talks about these silly women that run around and they're idle and they wander from house to house. And they're not only idle, idle, it says, but they are tattlers and busybodies speaking things which they shouldn't. Okay, so obviously they made it their business, their main, their main activity from day to day was just to go from house to house and share information about everybody and, and, and all of that. That seems a little over the top, and obviously it is something that is roundly um, uh, spoken against by Paul to Timothy. He says, Timothy, you get on top of those people and tell them to stay at home and mind their own business. So, so there is a legitimate thing that tail-bearing, slandering, um, idle chatter can certainly be a problem. Okay, that's totally biblical. But on the other hand, we can become so confidential, so tight-lipped, that it actually is unhealthy and stifles good brotherly relationship. And there's a fine line there. I don't know exactly where that line is all crossed sometimes. And I think some people see the line at a different place than maybe other people see the line. In fact, I'm quite certain that's the case. So just a couple things I would say. Let's be sensitive to information that we share about others that does damage or we know was meant to be confidential. Let's just not go around spreading bad reports broadly for no good reason. That's not at all biblical. I think that comes very, very handily into the thing of, um, of slander or um, uh, what the Bible calls tattlers. So let's not do that. But I think there's a lot of communication that we can have with each other that uh, shares information and maybe gives context and uh, commentary that isn't necessarily wrong. It doesn't put the person in an evil light. It doesn't slander. And it perhaps gives a feeling of connectedness. Uh, I'll just give you an example. Um, this is just a very mundane example, but it's an example nonetheless. So Richard works for Hogslad. I don't know if you knew that or not, but uh, he, he does now. I didn't find that out from Richard. I found that out from Ellis. Ellis told me that Richard worked for Hogslad. 
Now, was Ellis gossiping when he told me that Richard works for Hogslat now? It doesn't feel to me that it was. Um, now, if he would have went on to say, now, that Richard, he's got a lot to learn. He, the, the man's got a long way to go in a short time to get there. Now, that's probably would have been uh, going into perhaps the slander part of things, all right? But he didn't say that, by the way, Richard. He, he didn't. So, so I'm just trying to give you that as an, as an illustration. I think, um, I think we need to, to be um, um, honest about what is gossip and what is not. One other point before I leave this. I think gossip will express itself at its finest when people are evasive, when people are suspicious, and when people are hiding things. You know one of the worst, one of the best ways to keep people from gossiping about you? Just live a transparent life. Have nothing to hide. Live above the fray. And there's nothing that gossip will get its teeth into. And if people do say something that's slanderous about you, people will say, that's not the Klee and I know. That's not the Laverne I know. These people don't do these things. I won't believe that until I have that well verified. In Malachi 3.16 a very familiar verse. Then they that feared the Lord spake oft one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and thought on his name. Now what did these people that feared the Lord say to one another? It doesn't say. It says they spoke often one to another. But it pleased the Lord. Whatever they said pleased the Lord enough that the Lord hearkened and he heard it and he wrote it down in a book. So it wasn't slander, it wasn't gossip, and it was well above the standard of righteousness. All right, we'll leave that. Point number four, I draw from verse seven. And to put it in the King James Version, be a bowel refresher. You have refreshed my bowels, it says. Now, that's we don't go around saying that today, but we would say be an encourager. Probably one of the separators of any given group, whether it's in a workplace, in a church, in a family, in any event, is that you have people that are givers and you have people that are takers. And the question I have to ask myself, am I a giver or am I a taker? Am I a person that is pleasant to be around, that people are drawn to? I'm sure that in your minds, right now, there is a person or two that's coming to your mind that you're thinking, yeah, I know, I know that person. I like to be around him. And yes, I know that person that I don't like to be around so much. Uh, he just really is a draw on my happiness. Am I an encourager? Am I interested in others? When I talk, is it about me or do I ask about you? Do I easily give out compliments and encouragement when it is needed? Am I helpful? These things all work their way into refreshing bowels.
And we need to be those kinds of people. Number five, I get from verse eight. Be a person that is easily beseeched and doesn't have to be coerced. You pick up there what uh, Paul says. He says, now what I'm about to tell you, I could tell you to do. I could enjoin you. In other words, I have the authority, Philemon, that I could actually tell you what to do. But I'm going to refrain from that. Rather, I'm going to beseech you. I'm going to implore you. I'm going to ask this of you. That's what I'm going to do. He says, I'm your elder. I could, I could tell you what to do, but I'm going to refrain from that. James talks about this a little bit, too, in his epistle. He talks about people that have wisdom that's from above. And one of the characteristics of people that have wisdom that is from above, godly wisdom, are people that are, he calls it, easily to be entreated. In other words, they can be approached, and they can be addressed, and the hackles won't go up. And they will think about that, and they will find a way to put that advice or whatever it may be into practice in some way. I'm here to tell you that it takes a lot of maturity, it takes a lot of trust, and it takes a lot of goodwill for two people, as in this as in this uh, account here, where we have Paul coming to Philemon, and what Philemon could have done with this slave Onesimus, and what Paul was asking him to do were two different things. Now, Paul had a lot of confidence in Philemon, and he knew this person, and he, he was a brother beloved to Paul. So I think Paul had a lot of, um, a lot of, um, uh, confidence going into this, into this beseeching process that it was going to be accepted. But this is something that I had to, um, I had to just, you know, think about for myself. Am I willing to be a person that can be easily beseeched? Somebody comes to me and says, you know, I'd like you to do this and that but I'm not going to make you. How do I take that? If I want to do my church and my brothers and sisters in Christ a big favor and myself an even bigger one, I will be a workable, pliable, and an easy-to-be-entreated kind of person. You know, Philemon knew that Paul wanted the very best for him and he wanted the very best for Onesimus. And he knew that Paul found himself on a tight spot to find the best for both of those people. And that's where this trust thing comes in. Do I have the confidence that you want the very best for me, and do you have the confidence that I want the very best for you? I hope we have that confidence. Point number six, I find in verse 10. Paul here was willing to get involved in what was a potentially unpleasant circumstance. Now, just speaking practically, Onesimus here had the potential to ruin a good friendship between Paul and Philemon if Philemon would not have received this letter properly. Okay, so... You know, you get the the saga here. Onesimus is indeed um, the property of Philemon. 
And Philemon could have, um, I don't know what he could have done. I didn't really look into that. But to run away from your, your owner was not exactly something was highly esteemed. He, uh, he would have had, I'm guessing the, I'm guessing typically if a runaway slave was returned to his owner, I'm suspicious that things weren't real well for the runaway slave. That would be my guess anyway. And Paul is going to bat for the runaway slave. And he's already friends with Philemon here. Do you ever think about the, the tackiness of this situation? And that's a question I had to ask myself. Am I willing to risk a friendship for the sake of the right thing? See, that's what Paul was doing here. He said, I know what the right thing is, and I'm, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to appeal to, an, or to, uh, to Philemon. I'm going to make my case based on Christianity and, and the, the trust I have in this man. But I'm taking a risk, but I'm willing to take it. Paul had learned, I think, this from people in his past. Remember how Barnabas had taken Paul and taken him into the elders at Jerusalem and, and, and had put him in a favorable light when everybody at Jerusalem wasn't feeling real, real keen about Mr. Paul after he was converted. Because after all, he had, uh, he had hunted down the church and persecuted the church. Peter seems like he had trouble getting a hold of this concept. He had failed miserably with Jesus. Uh, he had told Jesus emphatically, uh, I don't care who denies you, Jesus. I'll never deny you. Well, we know that story. That worked out real well that night. And then Peter, sometime later, after he's converted, after he preaches that Pentecost sermon, after he does many miracles, he's uh, sitting around with some Jewish Christians one day, and along comes some uh, Gentiles, and he knew he would offend his Jewish friends if he went and ate with those Gentiles. So what do you think he did? He just kind of ignored the Gentiles. You can read about that in Galatians. And it says that Paul had no time for that. And he withstood, it said he withstood Peter to the face. He said, Peter, you got a few things to learn. So who am I? Where do I fit into this? Am I willing to lay it on the line when it's the right thing to do? Am I willing to be an arbiter for the underdog if it's the right thing? Point number seven, I get from verse 15. Am I willing to accept circumstances that I can't understand as a providential act? So he says here, he said, what you don't know, Philemon, is perhaps, perhaps Onesimus had to run away to become a Christian. You know, this thing doesn't look very good from your perspective, but this thing could turn out way better than you ever anticipated. Perhaps he needed to do this for a season. Perhaps this was an act of God. You know, there's probably some things in your life and in my life that probably never will seem right in our minds, and we'll struggle to accept it. It just doesn't make sense to us. The challenge is, can we let it go? Can we just let it rest and say, this is of God? This thing happened, I don't understand it, but it apparently is of God. Can we put our trust in the Almighty? As Boaz says, said to Ruth in Ruth 2, he said, The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings Thou art come to trust. Uh, you think about Ruth's uh, experience. It was not a pretty picture. But what say? 
What would have happened if Ruth's husband and Naomi's husband and Orpah's husband had never died? Ruth might still be an idol worshiper, perhaps. She'd probably still be in the land of Moab, at the very least. I think it is, it is typical is that our flesh, we as the, the fleshly side of us, as the songwriter says, we wish to be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease. That's what we would really like. You know, don't make it too hard for me, God. Just kind of, you know, I'll serve you, but please, you know, don't make it too tough. We don't want our slaves to run away. We don't want our husbands to die an untimely death or our children to make wrong choices or the bills to outpace the paycheck. We don't want those things. But can we say like Job did, you know what? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. But I'm going to serve God anyway. Number eight, I get from verse 16. Do I have the attitude that everybody around me is equal in Christ? Paul makes the case here, he says, At this point, Philemon, Onesimus is no longer a slave. He is a brother. He is now a brother. All brotherhoods, all families, all work settings, all school classes, and you can name any time there's a group of people together, you're going to have a variety of talent. You're going to have a variety of personalities. You're going to have a variety of financial situations. You're just going to have a variety of people. That's that's life. But there's one thing that doesn't change. I don't care if you're a multi-billionaire or if you're a pauper or any other thing that divides people by a mighty gulf. Your soul is worth the same, exactly the same. You know, here we have Paul as a seasoned church elder. We have Philemon as apparently a businessman and an active layman in his church. And we have Onesimus, that's a runaway slave. Three very diverse people. But they serve the same God who viewed them with the same value. And he had placed each one of them where he had placed them for his own reasons. I think this is why the Bible points out and warns over and over and over again against the sin of pride. You know, what what do any one of us have that we have gotten all by ourselves? <laughs> what is that? What um, what can we do that we really can boast about? You know, we possess absolutely nothing that has not been given to us in some way. It is not uncommon in society, and unfortunately, it it filters into Christian communities as well, that we succumb to a sorting out of sorts. We sort ourselves out. And too many times we sort ourselves out based on financial status. At least it can happen. I I, I have to admit, I, I praise God I don't feel that in this brotherhood, and I praise God for that. But it can happen. And I just want to say, let's not let that happen. That's not how God sees us at all. Number nine, verse 21. 
Paul says, I have confidence in thy, thy, in thy obedience that I wrote unto you, knowing that thou wilt do also more than I say. Am I a bare minimalist or am I a person that will go well beyond the call of duty? Paul had every confidence of Philemon that he would go well beyond what he asked of Philemon. Not only would he take Onesimus back and not give him a spanking, he would take Onesimus back and give him a raise in his paycheck. See? He said, I know you're going to do far more than what I ask of you, Philemon. My, uh, my um, question to you and I this morning is, what kind of a person am I? Am I a bare minimalist? Am I, am I the kind of person that will never do any more than it takes? You know, I'll never give my boss one more minute than what I, what he deserves, what I think he deserves. You know, if, if I'm the, uh, the person that got tapped by the Roman soldier to walk that mile, I won't take one more step. Not one. If I'm supposed to do something in church, believe you me, it won't be one more thing than what I'm asked to do. No volunteering on my part here. You know, we live in a world that is teaching us that way too well, way too well. In fact, just this past week, there was a politician that is running for office that I cringe to hear the man say this. But if you remember back in the 60s when Kennedy was running for office, one of his most famous phrases was, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. You remember that. That's a very common cliche that gets kicked around, and it's a good point. The man made a good point. And we could, we could take that and we could put that in, interject a lot of different things there. Ask not what your family can do for you. What can you do for your family? Ask not what your church can do for you, but what can you do for your church? Well, this politician, he said this. He said, in all due respect, it is time that we ask what our country can do for us. That gives you some symptoms of where we're at and the world we live in. All right, we'll leave that. Let's be a person that goes well beyond the call of duty. Lastly, point 10, I get from verse 22. Practice hospitality. Paul here says, make me a bed. I'm going to come to see you. I'm going to sleep with you. I'm going to lodge with you a little bit. I don't know what kind of a person Philemon was, but obviously Paul had no qualms about asking him to lodge with him for a season. doesn't even say how long it would be. But he said, I want you to prepare for me a lodging. You know, this business of hospitality... Um, sometimes we talk about that as a gift. Well, somebody has the gift of being hospitable. But to my knowledge, there's nowhere in the New Testament that hospitality is spoken of as a gift. There's four times that it's commanded. Now, you be hospitable. In First Peter 4, it says, use hospitality one to another without grudging. I take from that that um, sometimes we, you know, we'll do it. I'll have you over for dinner, but I'm not really enjoying it, okay? Just soon I didn't. Romans 12, we know that chapter, just a long laundry list of, of things that characterize Christians. Paul says, give yourself to hospitality. 
Well, Paul wasn't afraid to ask for a bed, and I don't think Philemon was surprised that he did either. But I guess the point I'd like to make is um, hospitality is work. Uh, you know, when we have folks over for lunch, the, the meal just didn't happen. It just didn't appear on the table. You know, we just didn't wave the wand and whoop, there's fried chicken. Doesn't happen that way, does it? At least not in my house. And uh, if somebody's going to come and stay for the night, um, hey, there's a certain amount of work here. This is washing bed sheets. This is uh, sweeping. This is all these things. It's a certain amount of work. But have you ever had somebody come to your house for lunch or you put them up for the night, and at the end of the day, you didn't receive a blessing too? I dare say that it's been very, very few times that that hasn't been the case. might have been a time or two that I'd question it. But generally speaking, there, there's a giving and there's a big receiving too. I think in some ways, uh, modern times have robbed us of sharing with one another on a level that's talked about here in this, in this letter. Um, you know what? When we travel, we just find the, the local motel, don't we? We, we don't, we don't hunt up the, uh, you know, the, the person that's off the turnpike that, you know, might go to a church that we affiliate with and say, hey, you know what? I'm, oh, I need a place to stay tonight. What do you think? I mean, it would be just considered culturally abnormal, right? We might even get gossiped about if we did a thing like that, perhaps. But I guess here's my encouragement. Let's just be hospitable people. Let's be known for that. Let's, uh, let's keep up the practice of, of uh, getting into each other's homes. That's a good thing. That's, that's one of the things that is unique to being um, Christians of our persuasion. And I think it's a good thing. And so I'd like to just encourage us to, um, as Paul of old said, practice hospitality. Well, that brings us to the end of the letter here. I hope that you have been challenged as I have at the, uh, at the things that we have learned as we looked at this friendly letter that uh, Paul wrote to his friend Philemon, and I hope we can put it to practice as well.